too, me too. Now listen, I want to introduce myself. I'm Matt Erickson, and I'm from the, well, the second leading uh, vacation destination behind California, and that is Nebraska. Anybody know where Nebraska is? Most people don't, that's okay. Hey, three years ago, my wife and I, with, uh, with our team of six, her and I and our four kids, launched Mercy City Church in Lincoln, and man, it's been a fun ride. We love being a part of ARC. We love what what comes with that, the family, the, 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 the you know, commitment to relationships to a life together. So we're excited about that. We're excited about you being here. And uh, we're excited about hearing the answer to this question because how many of y'all know church planners would love somebody who could give us millions, right? Uh, and so I am, can't wait to get to the bottom of this. Now, there's one thing that uh, launching in a college town, people constantly ask us, hey, why don't you do church in the afternoon? And as I look around the room, I see why, because everybody's sitting in the back ready to take a nap after lunch, you know what I'm saying? How many of y'all would be upset if your church folk came in and everybody sat in the back? I got one request from Pastor Andrew as he uh, gets ready to come, and that's that I could get everybody up on their feet, get them to kind of move up to the front of the room, and really give him a warm, warm welcome. So if you would stand up on your feet, we're not going to let him come to the stage unless we're on our feet, and he just wants us to put our hands together. So if you would, Pastor Andrew is the teaching pastor at Bayside uh, in California, originally from Northern Ireland, he wants that to be a big deal, he's an Irishman, okay, he moved over here three years ago, took on this role, and uh, now he is coming to the stage, and we need a better welcome than that. So yes, uh, as you heard, this is an Irish accent, and you need to listen carefully because this is how you were talking heaven, everybody. This is the official voice of God, and it's the way he speaks. So yeah, originally from Ireland, but the really cool thing is, I met a French woman in England, ooh la la, and that was 25 years ago that we got married, and we got four children, we got Ben, who's 22, Dan, who's 19, and then Abigail, we got one girl, any dads here of girls in this room? Yeah, the reason I moved to America was so I could buy a gun, that was simply it, everybody, I wanted to buy a gun. And then I've got a younger son called Nathan, and he's a missionary to America because he wants to convert you to real football, everybody. Not that soccer stuff, it's real football. We got the real football. So uh, that's a little bit about myself. I'm currently uh, with Bayside Church. I moved there uh, with the family just over three years ago. Bayside Church is a, a multi site church in Northern California. We are approximately 22 years old. Our founding pastor is a guy called Ray Johnson. He sends his greeting. And if he hadn't uh, had just a, a knee replacement surgery about a month ago, I actually think he would have jumped on the plane with us just to come and be with you guys. He is a pastor's pastor. He's an incredible guy. He invited us on staff to share a leadership with him uh, just three years ago. And it has been a just a fun ride. So just, just hear a little bit of our context. Uh, last weekend there, we had about 19,000 people at church. 
but it started in a tennis club 22 years ago with just over 100 people. So please, this is not just some story of an incredible megachurch. This is a story of a journey, but also a financial journey. I am not a financial guru, but we just just learned a few lessons along the way. Now, to help us today, I also brought uh, Ali Sweeney and her husband, Tyler's over there near the door. He's our or he's at the back, actually. He's our high school pastor, and Ali is our campaign director. We just had an incredible campaign recently, and I'm going to get Ali to introduce her. Can you give Ali a round of applause? Yeah. All right. So, yeah, I came on staff just shortly after um, Andrew and Isabel moved up, and my husband and I are, I'm pregnant, he can't do that, but we are expecting a child, I'm 15 weeks pregnant, which is very exciting. Um, uh, Tell him the birthday. Say how she said. Come on, everybody. <laughs> uh, that's good time. Everybody wins on that. Um, yeah, so I came on to direct the campaign. Before that, I did uh, retail management with Target. So I got a bunch of executive experience, leadership management, guest experience, all that, which perfectly equipped me to run a new transmission campaign. Not at all. But I learned a ton of things, and I'm really excited to share those with you uh, in a little bit. Okay, so good. Okay. Can we hear it for Ali then? Just one more time. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to David here. David, can I mess up everything and just lift this down onto the floor? Would that be okay? Sure. Sure. Did you? And I'm going to get a little bit closer to you. Can I just feel a little bit up there on the stage? How many preachers know you've got to get closer? You've got to look them in the eye. Yes? It's SeaWorld. You're in the splash zone. That's what you're in there right now. The spit zone. Okay, you'll be all right. So, so why would someone give you millions? Let me start with a, a story. Uh, anyone in here a child of the 80s? Anyone remember the 1980s? Come on, the best music in the world ever. The best fashion in the world. I was a child of the 80s, and I remember this. I can remember this very clearly as a teenager. Uh, there was a, a BBC correspondent. How many people like BBC? Okay? It's real news, everyone. It's what Jesus watched. Uh, he watches it, okay? Because it's true. And, and I remember watching Michael Burke, one of their correspondents. He went to the, the uh, nation of Ethiopia, and he sent back the report of literally a biblical famine. It was a disaster, an absolute disaster. And it touched the heart of the nation, but it touched one person, and his name was Bob Geldof. This is Bob Geldof here. Many people have ever heard of Bob Geldof. He is a wily Irishman. He makes Conor McGregor look tame, everybody, okay? And he was a lead singer of a band called the Boom Time Rats. That's a good name, isn't it? A good name for a church if you want to have that. So the Boom Time Rats, uh, incredible guy, and he went out to Ethiopia and was so moved, he came back, and Christmas of that year that he visited uh, um, Ethiopia, he, um, that was 1984, Christmas 1984. He, this is what he did. He rang up Freddie Mercury of Queen. Remember Queen, yes? He rang them up, and this is what he said. He said, Freddie, uh, we're going to be releasing a special charity single for Christmas, and you two are already on board, so you need to get on board. And you two weren't on board. He hadn't called them at all. <laughs> so he put the pressure on Freddie, and so Freddie said, I'm on board. And so then he rang Bono, and he said, Freddie Mercury's on board, Queen are on board, and then Bono said, well, I'll be on board too. And then it was just a ripple effect. And so he lied to everyone and got his own way and raised lots of money through a thing called Band-Aid. How many people know the song, Feed the World? Every Christmas it comes out, you're in the mall, all of that. So lots lots of money was raised, but not enough money was raised. And so he took it then from Band-Aid to a thing called Live-Aid. And he said to the same guys that would be part of the record, just a little bit of momentum had come in. He said, I want you to come and perform for us. 
and he chose two venues. The first venue was Wembley, and they call this the greatest concert ever. Look at this here. This is Wembley in London. Uh, everyone just performed free. I just wrote, I just met the daughter of the sound man who did this for free. He was the sound man for the day and did all of that. And suddenly the world was watching. Something really cool happened on that day. Not a lot of people know about this. Phil Collins from Genesis. He performed in London, and he left uh, Wembley, which is just right beside uh, Heathrow, got on Concord. How many people remember Concord? Yeah. Do you remember a day when we flew faster than our children can fly today? Yeah. We used to be faster than it. That is incredible. And so he got on Concord, and he flew to Philadelphia, where there was another Live Aid concert happening at the JFK Stadium, and he performed there on the same day because of Concord. How cool is that? He we're cool, everybody. And, and so this is the JFK thing. But 1.9 billion people were watching the concert. Did you hear that? 1.9 billion people from 150 countries were watching it on television. But then Bob noticed something. This was before the internet. Lines had been set up for people to call in and make pledges. And the, the word came through to Bob that the money wasn't coming in. So this is what Bob did in his own inimitable Irish style. He, he burst into the BBC studio in the one in London in uh, Wembley Stadium. He burst in and he grabbed the microphone and he looked into the faces of millions and millions of people. And he started to use language that had never been used on British television before. And it took an Irishman, sadly, to break some rules. But he said, you're all enjoying the music, but you're not given any money. How many pastors in here want to stand up and say that to their church? <laughs> Without using certain expletives, okay? How many people just think, you're all enjoying the show, but you're not given any money? He said, it's not about the artists. It's not about the tunes. It's about dying children in Africa. And he said, now get off and get pick up the phone and start to pledge the money. And things went crazy from there. And they say, uh, because of Live Aid, back in the 1980s, 1985, $200 million was raised. Isn't that incredible, everybody? In the Bible, we have a completely different scenario. And it's back when uh, Moses was told to build a tabernacle. How many people taught on the tabernacle? Not many of you. You should read the Old Testament every now and then. It's going to help your church plant and the whole view of the Bible. And, and, and Moses, he had to build a tabernacle according to the instructions of God. And this is what happened. I just think this is absolutely amazing. Look at the words here that are used as the guys are building the tabernacle, the first church plant ever. Can we get those words up from Exodus? Here we go. It says, so all the skilled workers who were doing all the work of the sanctuary left what they were doing and said to Moses, the people are bringing what? More than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order and they sent this work throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. Let's keep going. And so the people, look at this here, were restrained for bringing more. Can you imagine if that happened in your church? If you actually said, hey, ushers, I want you to stop the offering halfway today. Because we got far too much. Or actually, we're not going to have an offering today because we're still counting last week's offering. There was just far too much. Now, you guys, I need to speak to you because you're way too generous. Now, you put away that credit card. I've warned you about it. Imagine calling security because you got too much. Isn't that incredible? Look what it says here. Because what they already had was what? More than enough to do all the work. How do we get to this point in life where we go, do you know what? 
We are actually on the other side, like the guys fishing that caught too much, and we've got to actually call to other partners, can you help us with the great, I'm going to say it, financial catch and blessing that God has given us. It's just too much for us at this moment in time. So this is going to ask you a question, and I want you to turn to someone and answer the question. I want you to imagine just immediately, okay, upon arriving home from this conference, your CFO, your treasurer, whoever counts your money, said to you, we've just had a bumper offering. We are 50% ahead annually of our annual budget already. We've just got an extra 50% of cash. What would you spend it on immediately? Turn to the person beside you and tell them right now, what would you do? Who would you hire? Because you've got to be thinking about this and what would you do? Turn to the person beside you. Quickly. Just, just take 30 seconds, 40 seconds. What would you do? Children's pastor full time, yeah. Okay. What about him? Uh, they are building. Well, they're needing a new, a new building, right? Mm-hmm. So everything will go to building and some church plan. Okay, excellent. Uh, what about you? What did you hear? We talked similar, but missions was another thought. Okay. Them. Very, very good. Anyone else hear anything intriguing? Yeah, she wants to do professional development for their leaders. Oh wow, that would be good. Yeah. That's excellent. And one more. Um, a separate outreach resource center. Wow, fantastic. We are really convinced that God wants those plans to happen. How many people are convinced of that? Now, there will always be a point of where our vision is greater than our resources. That that should be true, yes? It's always got to be the case. But I think the things that you just talked about just shouldn't be, you know, like fantasy land. I think those are God-given dreams in our lives. And I think God wants to fuel those things with the right finances. And this is one thing that we have learned at Bayside uh, across the 22 years and something even in the three years that I've picked up on. And it's, it's simply this here. It said, money is like manure. I love this quote. If you pile it up, it stinks. If you spread it around, you can make great stuff, bro. You'll all be using that, won't you, church, before the offering this week? I hope you are, okay? I'll say it again. Money, okay, is like manure. If you pile it up, it stinks. But if you spread it around, you can make some great stuff, bro. So let's answer our question, try to answer our question today. Why would someone give you millions? I'm going to ask you for a faith response here. How many people are believing for millions? When we first started planting in Ireland in a little city called Derry, London Derry, how many people heard of you two? Yes? Yeah. Yeah. And you heard of Sunday, Bloody Sunday? And it was an atrocity that happened in that city, and it's a song about it. At first, we were believing for hundreds, and then we had to believe for thousands. And God has led us on a ministry journey to the point now where we have to believe for millions, okay, every single month within our lives. And God wants to release that to us. So here's the question. Why would someone give you millions? Number one is this, because lots of people want to be generous. Why would someone give you millions? I am absolutely convinced of this, that there are lots of people that want to be generous. 
I know you haven't met all of them yet, or some of them yet, but there's lots of people that want to be generous. Uh, my friend Gordon runs a Teen Challenge Centre in the northeast of Scotland. Remarkable guy. He's a recovering alcoholic himself and just has a heart for those with addiction. So he decided a couple of years ago that what he was going to do was go around the major cities of the UK and go on the street with the homeless. He hit London first. I mean, literally, he had nothing in his pocket. When he arrived in London, he mailed home his visa card and he had just a couple of pennies in his pocket. Just thought, I'm going to go right in there. Walked up to homeless people. He said he was just blessed by them. He said they were like a church. They just welcomed him in, they protected him, they showed him where he should sleep, where he shouldn't sleep. And he said it was crazy what was happening on the streets. He said you would sit there and you would put your little pot or whatever in front of you. Some people would just throw a few pennies in, some people a couple of pounds as it is in England. Some people 20 pound notes, other people would just kick it away. You just get different reactions. He says, but it was that fraternity of homeless people that really spoke to him. And he said he got to know a guy called Mick. And uh, on the Friday morning, after being with him for a week, he looked over on the cold morning, and Mick was sitting there, and he was counting through the money that he had accumulated. And he was getting all, like, the coppers, just the small cents. He was getting all the coppers, and he was putting them to the side and was putting them in a small bag. And Gordon watched him do this. He didn't have much money left, but he put the coppers to the side into the bag. And he got up to go, and Gordon said to him, Hey, Mick, where are you going? He said, Oh, I'm going to McDonald's. And heading off to McDonald's. He said, Well, why are you going to McDonald's? You're going for like a burger? And he sort of mumbled and he said, What are you getting? You getting a cheeseburger? Are you getting a happy meal? What are you going to do? Oh, he says, I'm just always going on Friday morning. And, And Gordon pressed him. He said, What are you going to do? Well, he says, I just do this every week. Whatever coppers I have, I always put them to the side. And you know there at the cash registers at McDonald's, there's like the little glass boxes for charity. He said, I always pour that into the children's box because there's always someone worse off than me. Not incredible, everybody. Because you would think in life, generosity is about the rich. Actually, there's some people in this world, they have got generosity. They're not rich yet. There's some people in your high school ministry. Do you know what? Be kind to them because you're going to be working for them one day. They are the Steve Jobs, potentially the Bill Gates of the future. And do you know what? You've got to put something in them right now. I I am absolutely convinced that people want to be generous. I'm going to show you a video, and you can show this video in your church. This is a brilliant video. It's from a a chain store back in a department store uh, in, in the UK. It's called John... Lewis and every year people get excited about the John Lewis Christmas commercial. What are John Lewis going to do this year? And this came out a few years ago and for me it's all about generosity. Just watch this for one second.
pretty good, isn't it? Jesus said this. He, these are the words that are remembered of Jesus Christ. It is so much better or blessed to give than it is what? To receive. There is something when we give. I, I spoke to a business person in our church just recently, and they did an incredible charitable act, and they were there to see the benefits of it. And this is what he said to me afterwards. From that moment, I actually thought I could give up my job that earns me millions of dollars just to get that buzz again. Because I earn so much, but I'm not giving enough away. And I want to encourage you that there are people in this world, there are lots of people in this world, and they want to be incredibly generous. So that's one reason why people would give you millions. Number, number two is this, because you know your why. This is so important. The full language of Simon Sinek. you got to know your why. Bayside's been on a remarkable journey. And when we decided to move our family all the way 5,000 miles from Ireland to California, it was a big decision. We needed to think about our kids. We needed them to get the right schools. We had four kids, uh, three in school, one in college. And we needed to look at a lot of schools, different ages, what's going to be the best thing for them. So you would travel around these schools. You would meet dozens of teachers. And invariably, they would ask the question, where are you from? You say, Ireland. And then they would ask this question, why are you moving here? And uh, we said, well, because of Bayside Church. And this is what people said. They never responded with, uh, you know what, Bayside's a big church. It is a big church. They didn't even say Bayside is a great church. You know what they said? I mean, to a man or a woman, they said this every single time. Oh, Bayside is great for our community. Bayside is great for our community. They didn't say they've got great worship, they've got great preachers. They didn't know Bayside for what happened inside the box. What happened inside the worship center, they knew Bayside because Bayside got outside of the box and headed into the community. Bayside, years ago, discovered its why. Why we really do exist. And Ray tells a story about this. He tells a story about how he was invited on one of these you know, senior pastors retreat to um, Newport Beach, California. How many people know that that is always God's will, that you should go on one of those? I don't, even if the Mormons invite you, go to that, okay, and have influence on their lives. God wants you to be in Newport Beach. And, and so he went down there, and, and I know the home that he was in that day, and there was quite a number of senior pastors, large churches across America, and they were having in the conversation about what church really is. And one of the guys led this conversation and he went to the holy grail of the church. Acts chapter 2 verses 42 to 47. How many people are haunted by those verses? And you just go, Lord, that's what I want in my city. That's what I want. And so this is what he started to do. He wrote up these words, real simple everyone. And uh, it was this here. Can we put up the first one? He just noted this. They gave to anyone who would need. They, they, they sold all their possessions. They sold their land. It's repeated again in Acts chapter 4. Uh, they just gave to anyone who would need. They were just like wildly generous. No one could stop the generosity. I, I'm just going to ask you this here. Why do you think the early church were so generous? I, I have a theory. I think it's because they lived somewhere between Christ's resurrection and Christ's return. They had just seen the risen Christ. They knew that this was true. And they were thinking he could come any day of the week. So you uh, get rid of all this stuff. <laughs> While we're alive, we just got linked to this world an awful lot. I think we've got to discover that. Generosity, the key to generosity is a revelation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And a daily consideration that he could return today. Yes? Yeah. You start talking more about the return of Jesus Christ, you're going to get bigger offerings. 
Just a thought. Okay, so they give to anyone who needs. So what did they start with? They started with good deeds in the community. They, they were known this. Everyone was saying, I want to be part of that. Right? Because there was no social security today of the day. There was no pension funds, anything like that. People wanted to be part of the most caring community in the world. And they were the most caring community in the world. Or they could be the most caring community in the world. Why? Because they were the most generous community in the world at that moment in time. That was the early church. These, this is our roots, everybody. They're in Jerusalem in this church. So that was the first thing. And then the guy in your portfolio, he wrote this up. He, he wrote this here. He says, then they enjoyed favor. What did they experience? Goodwill. They enjoyed favor with everybody. Where did it come from? It wasn't just, oh, they smiled so nice. No, they are radically generous and they need real needs. They, meet, they, they make Bernie Sanders look mean. Do you know what I'm saying? They are, they are people that get down into people's lives and really care. So it starts out with good deeds. It moves to goodwill. And look what happened in the end. Uh, we know it so well. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What came in there? Good news. Good news. And it was like for Ray, and Ray, every time he tells it, he tells it with such passion and with such energy, and it's like the revelation, it's like he's still sitting in that uh, lounge in Newport, the revelation and the force of that, and this is what Ray says, that he rang up Jim Holtz, our community outreach pastor at that moment in time, and he said, Jim, I don't care if this wrecks the church, but we're going to change everything from this moment. We are going to change every single thing from this moment. And then Bayside really distilled who it was from that moment down to three things. And number one is we're going to reach wide. Whoever it is, we're going to reach wide. We're going to teach deep. Why? Because in this day and age, we need to stick to the Bible for our rationale for everything that we do. Yes? We're not just do-gooders, everyone. We're not just the Rotary Club. We are the church of Jesus Christ that's suspended between his resurrection and his return. Yes? And we have a biblical mandate. We're being obedient. We're not being kind. We're being obedient. We're being driven by the merciful heart of God to do all of this stuff. And he said, I don't care if this wrecks the church, but we've been doing church wrong. So what we've got to do is we've got to reach wide, we've got to teach deep, and then we've got to unleash compassion. And I love that term, unleash compassion. And I would say that is the number one reason why Bayside has made an incredible impact in our local neighborhood. It's not because Lincoln Brewster is our worship leader. We all love Lincoln and he's, we got, I call him stinking Lincoln. He's like a freaking unicorn because how often do you meet a unicorn? He's a genius, everybody. He is just an incredible genius. Ray's a remarkable leader. We have an incredible staff. We do all of this. But what really makes us matter in the community is our generosity. We are there to fix stuff in our community. It's just part of who we are. Listen to this here for a statistic or for a quote. It would take only 1% of the annual wealth of Americans, American Christians to lift the poorest 1 billion of the world's population out of extreme poverty. I think Jesus is going to have a conversation with us when we get to heaven. And I know you need a new building, and we need a new children's pastor, and we need all of that to, to help great ministry happen, to fulfill the great uh, commission, and actually make disciples. We need all of that. But there's something inside of us that needs to turn around and look at the wealthiest generation that has ever lived on the planet. And we've got to say to them, do you know what? God wants your cash. 
I preach a sermon, and, and you can steal it, but it won't sound as good without an Irish accent. And, and it's, it's the whole idea. I, I preach on, on this, the power of enough, that we have enough to celebrate. And what is it? A hundred percent. How much can you celebrate in life? A hundred percent. Even the Christian can rejoice over our sufferings and our troubles. We can celebrate the life out of everything. That leaves us with enough to tithe. How much should we tithe? We've got enough to tithe. When we celebrate 100%, it's nothing to tithe what? 10%. And then it leaves us with enough to share. Whatever percent. This is what we've got to tell our people. We've got to start with the tithe. We've got to give God the first fruits, not the afterthoughts, not the leftovers. We've got to give him the first fruits. But we've got this 90%, everybody, and that's what we've got to leverage for kingdom purposes. Because this is the end of the sermon, okay? Is that we've got enough to leave. How much? 100%. Because you ain't taking any of it with you. And it's what you do. I know what you got to do with 10%. percent you got to give that to God. Non-negotiable. But you've got 90%. And that's over to us to put a compelling vision in front of people. So i got to keep this moving, everybody. Okay? So because lots of people want to be generous, that's why they're going to give you millions. Because you know your why. And also, keeping on this, because compassion really matters to you. It really matters to you. It's not, oh, we ought to do that. And I heard they do it. It needs to get right in into who you are as a person. We heard this earlier on this morning. Prayer is not just something I should do. Prayer is something who I am. It's something that I model. It's something that's contagious about me. I've got to become a generous person, not just when the bucket is going past on a Sunday or when I see a number that I can text in at the weekend. It's got to be something that I do with every single person that I meet in the world, that I just turn that into an opportunity to bless people's lives. Amen. So we do serve day. How many churches in here do a serve day? Shut down the church. It's a really novel idea. Again, I just, just blew my mind away. We did serve day, and it was a great serve day. It was going really well. We ran out of supplies for a project. And it was interesting. A whole bunch of our workers in their serve day t-shirts stormed the local railies. You know, like the supermarket, the grocery store. They stormed the store and went in. And, of course, it freaked Americans out. They thought, it's the end of the world because people are clearing shelves and taking all the stuff off. And uh, they went up to the register, and, and the lady that was putting everything through, she looked down, and all these people were there in the blue T-shirts. And she looked at them, and she couldn't remember the name Besa. But she looked at them, and she said, oh, you're from that church, that, that church that loves to do lots of stuff for lots of people. <laughs> I'm going to ask you, what do you want to be known as? When compassion really goes to the top of the charts. When you don't live to just meet the pay or, or to pay people, but you actually go, we're going to bless the life out of our community. It makes an incredible difference. Richard Stern says this, a church that's lost its voice for justice is a church that's lost its relevance in the world today. And this is so, so true. You want to get a standing ovation when you preach? You want to get an encore when you preach? Will you be Brian Stevenson? I listened to Brian Stevenson. Everyone heard of Brian Stevenson? Every preacher, pastor in America must read Just Mercy. It's a book that will shape this nation. 
They call him the Nelson Mandela of America. His name is Brian Stevenson. Brian Stevenson, I've read the book. I cried my way through this book. I cried my way through this book. He's an African-American lawyer who is based in Alabama and wants to get people that should not be on death row off death row. Teenagers that have been given full life sentences in adult courts. He wants to try and help them. He spoke at the Royal Albert Hall. I have never, 5,000 people stood to their feet, could not stop clapping and cheering at the end of his talk and demanded that he come back and continue. Has that ever happened to you on a Sunday? I've heard them shout in our church one more song. I've never heard them shout one more point. I've never, ever heard them do that. But when you talk about justice and mercy, guess what it does? It really affects people's heart. It just connects with them deep into who they are. At our, our local mall, uh, we've got a Galleria Mall. And you've got to know this in the Granite Bay area where our, our um, original campus was. It's, it's a wealthy area. And uh, a deranged young man went into one of the key stores and set it on fire. And it wasn't, you couldn't call it a terrorist attack, but he went in fully armed. He went in with a, a lot of um, liquid and he just set the whole thing up. And it damaged with smoke about a third of the mall. About a third of the mall. And this is just a Bayside thing because I would say it's a Ray thing, our finding pastor. When Bayside heard about this, it was, well, what are we going to do to help? Now, all of the key stores, like Macy's here, they all had insurance. But there was a bunch of workers that didn't have insurance. People like, like cleaned the mall. Yeah. They were going to be out until their third of the mall got up and running again. Well, Bayside just said, well, we need to do something for them. And we immediately took uh, or, or received a second offering on a night that said, how many people heard about the mall? We've got to help these workers. We've got to do it. And literally, it blew these people away. Just blew them away, that act of, uh, that act of generosity, and kept, helped them to pay their bills for the few months until the mall got up and running again. Fast forward three years from that, the mall approached Bayside and said, hey, we want to put an ice rink in the mall, or it's just outside the mall this year. Would you think about helping us sponsor it? We said, absolutely. And there was a little bit of where they were going to put a, a Bayside logo at the bottom of it, and people were skating over the top of Bayside. That's a cool thing, isn't it, everybody? So it cost us a few dollars, but we thought it was a really good thing. It was like a gift to the community, but our name is there, and people are just circling around Bayside and following the letters and doing all of that stuff. Well, the local LGBT community and the Atheist Society rang them all. And they said, you can't have a church sponsoring this. That can't happen. The manager of the mall, who was not a Christian, simply said, this mall was fire attacked three years ago. All we know is Bayside came to the rescue. Where were you? Good deeds. Goodwill. Good news. Good news. See the difference, everyone? This is not, listen to me, it's not about how much you raise. This is just the fact that you're aware and you want to do anything. Yes? That's what we want to do. So, because compassion really matters to you. Come on. Because you've created a culture of 
generosity. You've worked really hard at this. You are a generous leader. Your leaders are generous. They're really getting into this. Let me talk to you real practical about stuff. We've given a lot of the why and the heart of compassion and all. This is the stuff that moves people across maybe in a single gift of millions or across the course of time to, uh, to giving men. Uh, let me just talk about the, the offering here. Uh, the offering is so important. In Bayside, we have a culture that when we stand up and we go, hey everyone, so good to see you today. And we do this not at the end of worship, but we make a part of worship. We walk out, hey, we're about to receive our tithes and our offerings. Our church claps, applauds, and shouts at every service. I, I'm going to be honest with you. When I first heard about this from Ireland, I was like, this is weird. This is just like weird. Now, we're not the Bible Belt. We're California. We're lost. We're pagans, okay? All right? So we know what missional is. So, but you know what? It is the most natural thing in the world. When you're in a Bayside service and you just say that. Now, we're also quick to say, if you're a visitor here today and you're not part of this church, you just let that bucket go past. And we say this here sometimes. It always gets a laugh. And say, we only have one rule in Bayside, okay? You don't have to put anything into the bucket, but you can't take anything out of the bucket, okay? <laughs> and it's a bit of a laugh. But you know what? There is a culture of where people are excited to give. That didn't happen overnight. That needed to be cultivated. What do we say around the offering? This is really important. And as we've really taken this strategy, we have seen our tithes and offerings increase and increase. We get up and instead of saying, would you, we say, thank you. We recognize what God is doing through people, not asking them for what we think he should do through them. And the more we say thank you and make them the heroes and say, do you know what? If you're not already on the train of generosity, why don't you jump on with everybody else? Because we're helping to change the world. We always give a great example and we always say thank you. You're going to see it in a second. Occasionally we say, would you? But on the whole, vast percentage of time we're saying thank you, thank you, thank you for what you do as people. How many people think that's smart? Okay, It is smart. Okay, um, we talk. We talk about vision, not shortfall. Don't talk about the shortfall. Oh, we're way behind, guys, and we need you. People don't want to give into a vacuum. They don't want to give into a void. They don't want to give into a vision. It is so important that you talk about that. And do you know what? As well, don't talk about dollars. Talk about need. Yeah. Talk about people, and where people want to connect to that in a massive way. Uh, also, our people, they, we remind them constantly, you don't give to Bayside, you give through Bayside. Yeah. Again, it just taps into the generosity gene. And, and also Bayside, we just don't do what I believe is a good job, and we're always uh, working on it, of the first offering. Our people are used to second offerings. And that's to do normally with high-level needs. So uh, we recently uh, took on a church in the Santa Rosa area, of California, it's just above the bay. And I just, I'm going there in two weeks' time to preach. And I haven't been back in a year. The last time I preached there, I literally left the city after having lunch with them. It was an incredible time. And they said to me, oh, don't be going home that way, up through the I-80. Head up that way and go through Napa and cut, cut across. Beautiful way. 
So I did that, came out of Santa Rosa, drove up through the hills, glorious. But as we got on the other side of Napa, the trees started bending, things were getting nods, a real wind came in. And then, I mean, literally overnight, Santa Rosa was burnt down. It was, those fires just swept in. I spoke with the guy that, that led the service the next day. He was part of a uh, housing division that had 435 houses in it. And I think 35 of those houses were left. Just, I mean, literally, it just came through. We immediately went, well, this is the really cool thing with Bayside at the moment. The culture is such that they don't wait for the weekend. They start calling the office to go, what are we going to do? What is Bayside going to do about this? We didn't send out a big email. We didn't get on television. We didn't do anything. We just stood up at church. We took our normal tithes and offerings. And then we said, how many people want to help in Santa Rosa? We told some of the stories. Listen to this. Just on that one Sunday across our sites, $472,000 was raised. That we never kept a dime off. It was not for us at all. $472,000 received. That church that we were taking on in Santa Rosa was a church that was going into decline. We were thinking, how are we going to turn this round? Oh, this is going to take so much work. Actually, their worst moment became their best opportunity. And they became the center of distribution for the whole area in the worst of crises. So for us, second offerings are so important. And this is what we find. Listen to this here. $472,000 out of anyone's budget, out of anyone's congregation, you think that's going to hit us somewhere along the line. From that moment, we've seen our tithes and offerings go up. Don't think to yourself, we're going to hurt the people with second offerings, we're going to drive them down. People want to know that you are involved with the real issues of the world. People want to give. They've loads of money in their pocket. They're going to Starbucks before service, going to Starbucks after service. They're spending, spending, spending their Amazon Prime. They've got, they're giving so much money. It's that 90%. Everybody, we want to change the world. We're not going to do it on the cheap. Yes? Okay. So that has been so good. We have a curve fund every month where we say to people, we want to bless our own people on the way out of the door. Just give. It's been incredible how we're able to help through that. How do we recharge the core? This is so important because you've got some people, you know, your church is only a year old, two years old. Our church is 22 years old. We've had some people there right from the very beginning. How do we recharge the core in areas of giving? Well, every single January, we put out a challenge and it's all about spiritual devotion. And this is what we do. We ask people to have a daily time with God. And we talk about how important that is. We ask them to keep, commit to weekly fellowship, both a weekend service and get in a group. And then we ask for a tithe. We teach it every single year. But we put out, have you ever done this, the, the uh, tithe challenge? That if God doesn't come through, we will give you your money back. Yeah. And we put it out there. And we, 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 we say this. You've got to write us in a letter. You've got to say that you're starting this. Do it for the first three months of the year. And then obviously our financial records will record what you give. And if, they, if at the end of March it hasn't come in, we'll just give you it all back. Okay? Well, one time, Pastor Ed said, we want to do it for six months. So we had a guy who was agnostic. And he, he took an eye to uh, one of the girls in the church. She's a Christian. She said, I really like you, but you're not a Christian, so I'm not going to date you. He said, okay, well, I'm going to still pursue you. They really liked each other, so I'll date you at church. I'll come to church with you. So he came to church. They weren't formally dating. He came to church with her, agnostic, and he heard the tithe challenge. He's not a Christian. And he heard the tithe challenge. And you know what he did? 
He said, I'm going to do that. This is win-win. Absolutely win-win. And he said, I need a savings account. I haven't been saving enough. So I recognize, I'll just put it into this church for six months. And I know, I'll just write them a letter. And I'll get it back at the end of the six months. So at the end of the six months, he was doing his taxes. And I forget the exact figures. I told this in a service, so I don't want to exaggerate. But he did his taxes. And he realized that he got an extra bonus that came in. And he had made so much more in those six months than he had in the previous six months. And this is the truth, everyone. He just went, there is a God. <laughs> was blown away. Became a Christian. And this is Disney ending. He married the girl. Wow. <laughs> he married the girl. Don't tell me this is going to put the lost off. If you're talking about changing the world, rolling your sleeves up, okay? If you're talking about, you know, gold-gilded you know, chairs for the stage of the church, that's nonsense. It's going to put people off. But if you're talking about actually world-class ministry that's getting involved, it really will help. And so we do that every year. We also do it at the end of the year. We have 30 to 40 people in living rooms. And we do multiple of these. We're about to start them quite soon. Where we just get some of what we call our key people in living rooms. And all we're trying to say is thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Invariably, they're going, what else can we do? But they're getting close to us, they're getting personal with us. And you know what? It is the best thing in the world where we get to high five them and we get to love on them. One other reason here before Ali comes, uh, why would someone give you millions? Because you're good for it. Yeah. You're not flaky. You, you, every year we get our finances audited, everyone. We talk about our finances. If someone asks us about finances, We've got answers for them immediately. We know what we are doing for our money, okay? Or with, with our money. So I'm going to invite Ali up here because this, this is a, a clear one. I want her to talk about our recent capital campaign because at the people of Bayside, and we've got one more campus to jump in on this, so far have pledged almost $30 million above their tithes and offerings to what we call world-class ministry. And Ali led the whole thing. And come on, can you encourage her again as she talks through it? So, uh, like I mentioned earlier, I came on to Bayside a couple years ago to direct this campaign. Had no idea what I was doing. So if you're anything like me, you might be wondering, what is a capital campaign? Uh, so I have a pretty quick definition for you, but it's an opportunity just to earn about two to three times your annual budget for extra projects. Um, the other thing is something really unique to Bayside is we do something called a compassion first model of our campaign. So what that means is there was a time when it first kicked off where our senior pastor had this incredible vision to do 50% of whatever we earned went towards compassion causes, locally and globally. Um, after that, we have done some portion of our um, giving. So. 10 to 50 percent, the last campaign we did was 10 percent from all of our campuses. So uh, we got through four, we have one left. And uh, that's just some terminology just to get us all on the same page. But there's also something called the rule of thirds. So this helped me a ton in understanding kind of who are you targeting? Who's this message for? Now, I want to be really clear this message is for everyone. Um, the goal of a campaign is to unite your entire congregation towards one goal. Um, it's all about vision, it's all about direction. But in the end, two to five percent are going to give a third, your top two to five percent are going to give a third of what your overall goal is. After that, it's 10 to 15 percent are going to give you the next third of what your overall goal is. So as you can see, the top 15% of your givers are going to be giving you 
two-thirds did that math really quick in my head. One plus one, two. Uh, so two-thirds is going to be coming from that top 15%. So, um, so the, the challenge in your communication is going to be, and I'm fortunate enough to not have to communicate this. Um, that's that guy's duty. But uh, the challenge in communicating this is how do we appeal to that demographic but engage the whole group along the way. Because it's not about equal gifts, it's about equal sacrifice, which is something that uh, our senior pastor reiterated over and over and over again through this campaign. So rule of thirds, the other piece is, the next slide is, it's my husband back there. Hey guy, what are you doing? <laughs> so that was another question I asked myself a little bit. What are you doing? What are we here for? Um, and Andrew talked a ton about knowing your why. So the more that I could understand the why for my senior pastors, the more that that vision was conveyed to me, the better I could articulate what that was going to look like in events, in print, in media, in all the aspects of the campaign that rolled out. Make a plan. So um, that's kind of what I came on for was making the plan. So what are we raising money for? What, what are we going to eventually give to? Both compassion causes, if that's something you choose to do, and like uh, building causes. So maybe you just need a building. It's pretty simple. Maybe it's a staffing thing, and that's something you're looking for. Um, and then quantify your wins. So I know I talked earlier about engagement. So at Bayside, we qualify. If you give $200 a year or more, we call you a giving unit. Maybe that's a universal thing. But um, we wanted about 60% of people who are giving $200 a year or more to contribute something towards the campaign. So we just, we just took that as a mark of, this is a win. If 60% of people who are already invested financially in your church, meaning have invested in every way, right? If you're invested financially, your emotions are probably in that too. Um, so that was a big piece for us. That's just a, a quick goal as far as like, how are we gonna engage these people? So moving on, um, phase one is the plan. So I'm going to try to go over this quickly and give you as much information as possible. This is going to be really high level. So the first phase of the plan is, oh, this isn't a fundraising campaign. It's a faith-raising campaign. So it's, a, um, it's just a really important perspective, I think, as you approach the plan. This is about raising faith. Sometimes you can zoom in a ton on the specifics. Um, but yeah, so the first phase of the plan is going to be choosing your team. So one of the things that we talked about at Target all the time is right person, right place, right time. Who's the person you want driving the bus? Who are on the who's in each seat? Um, and those are going to be around three major buckets. And this is just kind of how it worked for us. But who's going to be doing weekends? Who's going to be doing events? And who's going to be doing collateral or marketing or, or however you want to explain that? Um, so again, a little bit more detail: the sermon and experience on the weekend. Who's filling these events and programming these events? And then what's the content and design for the collateral? So, yeah, I can, like, get down here so the picture. But, yeah, so the next thing, choose your team. The next piece is build your brand. Um, so our senior pastor had this vision immediately for motion. And he just really attached to the concept of movement. Um, and he sort of chose to illustrate that with dominoes. So um, you'll see this really extravagant example through a domino video we did. Come on, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so as our senior pastor, guy tipping the dominoes is the guy I'm married to. So, so many talents. Um, 
and so the big piece around that was essentially what's the momentum look like? How are we going to start with something small and build something big? So you can kind of get, there's a, there's a story to be told in the brand there. Um, and we could talk about branding forever, but we're going to have to keep moving on because there's a ton of aspects to come. So the next piece is identify your projects. So we started talking about that originally. We had, you guys can't see because the font is like 0.7, but uh, <laughs> we had 56 projects that we gave to locally and globally. So we identified 56 partners um, that we decided, hey, we want to we wanna bless you through this campaign process. And then we even have a bonus project. And there are more bonus projects because we are maximizers at base and it's always evolving, um, which is awesome. So identify your projects. And the next one is build your timeline. When is this thing gonna kick off? So most uh, consultants would probably recommend at least a year in advance to start this whole brainstorming piece. And then before your campaign goes public, you want to pick the sweet spot. But it could be like two to three months before you invite the entire congregation into the uh, campaign. You want to be talking about what you're going after with different levels of donors. And we'll get into that in a minute, but building your timeline is a big piece too. And then we move into phase two, which is events. So events were a big part of what we, it's a big part of how we communicate everything at Bayside as well. It's part of our, kind of our core thing. So um, I have built this little graph that's gonna sort of cover the timeline of events. And there's three different uh, tiers to it. So the first one is about connection, I think. Oh, I always forget the quotes. Not about equal gifts, it's about equal sacrifice. You guys heard me say that one earlier. Great so uh, connect, so you'll see at the top, um, these events are equal, but the ones on the left are kind of with our top two to five percent or 10 to 15 percent, like I mentioned earlier in the rule of thirds. Um, and then the ones on the right are with our core. So anybody who's serving, anybody who's giving, anybody who's invested in what you're, uh, what you're after. So um, as you can see, they kind of build into each other. Those are very subtle arrows. <laughs> and uh, we start with the connection events. So you lead was just like, like I mentioned before, that core. It was an opportunity for us to engage and identify who are our volunteers for these people. Moving into informing, we had living room events where uh, our senior pastors invited people into their living rooms to explain the vision. Uh, the event was something similar, but it was where we uh, released the whole concept and vision around our campaign to the core before it went out to the entire uh, weekend. The leader pledge event is when we ask our leaders to go first. So we ask everybody in our congregation, so that's everybody on the right, everybody on the left. We ask them, hey, we want you guys to come first to make the first commitment towards this campaign. And the goal for that night can be to raise around half of your goal, if not 70%. And Celebration Sunday is the opportunity for everybody to say, that's on the weekend, for everyone to say, hey, we're in it. Uh, we're all coming forward. We're all invested in this future uh, strategy. So that's just kind of a general overview of the events. Weekends like no other. So the pub once it goes public, you have six to eight weeks is kind of typical for the sermon series. It's going to be around theme. So ours was around motion, um, around generosity, obviously. Um, you want to identify, obviously, that sermon. What, is, what, what are you covering? The experience, what's it going to be unique? I remember talking to our, uh, our weekend team and our um, communications department just saying, this should feel like Christmas times too. Like, this should, campus should feel like nothing is ever felt before. 
Uh, and then the response. So what are we asking people to do in the moment? If it's a physical 